Are you working on your author career, but struggling to get that first book published? Does the goal of being an author seem too lofty? Or thoughts of having multiple books and making a full-time living are as fantastical as living in Cinderella's castle? Welcome to Discovered Wordsmiths, a podcast where aspiring authors can be heard. Join Steven Schneider as he finds and talks to authors you may not know, but authors that have gotten their foot on the author career path. Hear what they've done to get there and where they want to go now. Settle back. It's time for a bit of inspiration and advice. Come listen to today's Discovered Wordsmith. All right. Well, everybody, welcome to Discovered Wordsmith second panel. I'm excited. Uh, I did one in the fall. I thought about this one and I kind of hesitated doing it because I was nervous that people wouldn't want to do it. And I was wrong. Everybody wanted to do it. It's great. So um, I, what I'd like to do for everybody listening, in case people are listening on the podcast instead of YouTube and watching our pretty faces, uh, I want to go around. Everybody introduce yourself, uh, your name, your writer name, uh, if it's different or if you only want to use one, that's fine. Uh, what style you like to write in and maybe the last book or so that you wrote. So um, I'll go around and we'll just introduce ourselves. So Valerie, you're up. Had myself muted because I have dogs in here. Yes. <laughs> Never know when they're going to go off. My name is Valerie Isan. I write women's fiction and memoir. Um, I am a three-story method editor and I podcast at the Writer Craft Podcast. Um, I help authors um, by doing story diagnostics so I can use a rubric and identify areas of the manuscript that need assistance. Nice. And the last book I wrote was a novel the scent of apple tea. Great. Thank you, Valerie. All right, Dave, you're up. Hi, my name is Dave Milbrandt. I write uh, faith fiction, mostly mystery thriller. The last book I wrote was Fool's Luck, which actually picked up an award, which was kind of cool. Not uh, nice there, but first book traditionally published. I've done self-publishing previous to that. So trying to get into the trad publishing track these days. Nice. Thanks, Dave. Catherine. My name's Catherine McKee, and I'm a three-story method audit, uh, editor. Ah, that's a long thing to say. We need to find a way to shorten that, right, Valerie? Um, I'm a YA speculative fiction author as well as an editor. I uh, have a podcast, Writing Pursuits, and you find my business at writingpursuits.com. The last book I released was Martin's Anointed. Great. Thank you. Mary. Hi, hi, I'm Mary Elizabeth Jackson. I'm writing down y'all's podcast so I can check you out because I'm a live streamer. So, you know, we're all kind of in the same world. Um, I am a children's uh, writer, middle grade writer and moving into adult writing. Um, and um, let's see, I'm also a ghost writer and I have uh, recently released, well, we'll say recently, about back in October was uh, the first middle grade reader that I've done. Um, and it's an anti-bullying uh, redemption, redemption book that's got educational tools in the background, uh, in the back of it. Um, so, uh, working on some projects right now, and I'm just adding songwriter to my bio, super excited about that. Wrote it last summer with my co-writer buddy and my daughter, one of my daughters, and they just recorded this week. So I'm excited. Nice. Good yeah. job. Uh, Jessica. Hi, I'm Jessica Bertrand. Um, I am one of the new bees on the block. I just released a book last July. It's called Uranium Downs. Um, it's a YA mystery. Um, mystery is my beat. So we'll see where it goes from there. Nice. Thank you. Catherine. Hi, I'm Catherine Spader, and I'm um, fairly recently retired from a 20 plus year career as an editor, ghostwriter, and journalist. And now I have uh, the great, great luck to be able to write fiction full time, um, which doesn't mean I'm making any money, but that's okay because I am. My goal now is to find the love in it again, and and the joy, and just enjoy it. Um, I write dark fantasy and historical fiction. I'm kind of bridging over to other genres like horror and. Um, uh, some experimental stuff just for fun. And my last book was called Mask of the Soul Eater. Nice, thanks. Kim. Hi, uh, I'm Kim, K.S. Barton. 
and I write stories of love and adventure set in the Viking age. Um, my historical fiction trilogy was released last year. The first book is called Warrior and Weaver, and the series is the Norse Family Saga. And I will have a book coming out on April 6th called Raven Marked, with, which is a, like a side story based on one of my side characters from the trilogy. So, And I'm also currently getting into historical fantasy, so I'm excited about that. Cool. Great. Thank you. Joel. Yes. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Joel Burkhat. I'm an author and retired environmental lawyer. I've written a number of uh, books, uh, three of them on uh, environmental fiction. And uh, my latest book, Strange Fire, is about fracking in Pennsylvania. It's a thriller, mystery, legal thriller uh, taking place uh, in the uh, gas fields in northern PA. Great. So, uh, that's what I love about doing these types of panels. We have experience and genre all over the board, so we can get a very good feel for the topic. So today's topic is frameworks and structures, and I kind of worded it that way, but not all of these can be considered a framework or a structure necessarily, but they all fit. Basically, what we're talking about is the things that you can either take a story and place pieces into to see if you follow the flow and uh, get a good story. We've all heard of several of them. If you've been in the world for a while, save the cat probably being one of the biggest ones uh, that people follow. And when I was working with JD, he pushed that one a lot. He said, if you want a number one thriller USA today, something that will make a blockbuster movie, you make sure it fits Save the Cat every step of the way. So that's a big one. There's uh, The Hero's Journey, which we've probably all heard about, the, the different steps that's been used, The Heroine's Journey. There's a few others out there, like The Snowflake Method, which is a way of writing, but it also is a little bit like a structure. So it, it works with some of these others. And then there's Jay and Zach's Three-Story Method. And I'm sure there's other ones I'm forgetting. So what I wanted to discuss for new authors, because a lot of time new authors don't know what these are or how to use them or they're confusing. And I just wanted to get some feedback on people, what they like to use, what their thoughts are on them, and uh, if you've used different ones and things like that. So we're going to try this. I, I feel like I should either be singing the Brady Bunch theme or asking for Hollywood Squares right now, because <laughs> that's kind of what it looks like to me. And, it, and if you don't know either of those, you're probably too young. So um, we'll just get started. Um, let me ask this. When you first started writing, did any of you say, oh, I have to use this framework? And you pushed yourself and said, I'm going to use that framework. Valerie? Yes, absolutely. What, what? All, I, all I had known was Hero's Journey. So I kept trying to put my women's fiction memoir stuff through the Hero's Journey track, and it just wouldn't fit. And I kept thinking I was a bad writer because it wouldn't fit. Um, and then when I read Libby Hawker's book, Take Off Your Pants, which is actually an outlining book for people that don't like to outline, I it really clicked because it was all about starting with a character and a flaw. And that by the end of the book, the flaw had to die. And that that was the character arc, the character journey. So that really clicked for me. And then others worked its way in, but I'll save time for other people to say stuff too. <laughs> uh, we'll get to those too. Uh, Catherine, you, you said. I think that the hero's journey was really the only one I'd really heard of because that's what we teach in you know middle school and high school is we teach that one uh, or three act structure. Yeah. Uh, and so when I discovered the uh, heroine's journey, I was like, aha, I've been writing this all along. <laughs> So, and, uh, and don't be misled by the, the, the genderness of stuff because Harry Potter fits into the heroine's journey. So it, it doesn't matter what the gender of the protagonist is. It's more about the journey. And I'm glad you mentioned that uh, because I think that's the first structure we all learn about, the three-act structure, beginning, middle, and an end. And that's mm -hmm. the first thing you teach the kids but even I've seen plenty of adults who don't really have a beginning, middle and end, you know, but that's the most basic mm -hmm. structure we have. 
anyone else uh, try when they first started following a structure uh, and finding out maybe it didn't work for you? Yeah, Joel. I, um, I didn't use a formal structure, but I did outline my first novel and uh, spent a considerable amount of time working on the outline. I, I'm not kidding. I might have spent three or four months writing about a 50 page outline for my story. And uh, it was it was so time consuming and it, it sucked such uh, so much of the life out of me that it really uh, impacted the way I thought about uh, uh, different kinds of um frameworks and, and the like for my stories going forward. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I've, I've gone the other route, started with nothing and started outlining a little more. <laughs> Dave, you, you had something? I did. Yeah. Um, I didn't do outlining the first time around because I thought my story was brilliant and I was absolutely wrong. My first novel. And so later on, I've started to do more of the outlining process and my wife's a writer as well. And that uh, we're talking about one of her recent projects saying, Hey, Outlining would have helped out on that because she's much more organized than I am usually. But the outlining process helps me to know where I'm going and it's just sort of bullet points that I'm driving through with the key themes I'm going to hit in each section I'm doing. I'm an old reporter as well. That helps out. My writing partner that I do screenplays with, and I'm starting that off with, he's a save the cat kind of guy. And he's all about save the cat. This page, this transition needs to happen. And I'm at this point, I'm thinking, okay, I'll take his word for it because I'm not a screenwriter yet. I'm sort of diving into that. And I'm curious, you know, to see how well that works, at least in the filmatic, you know, thematic version here, uh, cinematic version, uh, how that works for storytelling. So I'm kind of curious to see how that plays out um, or if there are other methods that tend to work uh, that are more beneficial. But yeah, I find that I need to do more outlining just because less of it and I don't have a sense of where the story is headed to. Thanks, Dave. Kim. So I didn't do that with my first books with the with the structure. I just kind of went into them blindly and just wrote my trilogy. And then and then I discovered some story structure stuff with story grid and uh, some other things. I already knew the hero's journey, but it, but the problem was, is once I started second guessing myself with all the structure it got me all balled up and, and I had a hard time starting like the next book after that. But then when I went, when I read the heroine's journey, I realized I had followed the heroine's journey all along. I just hadn't known that I was doing that. So it's like, I didn't start with anything. And then I tried to really kind of get my stories into some kind of formula and then that didn't work either. And so then I kind of need, I think I need to just kind of let them all percolate and that's, I'm glad you asked that because it kind of leads into what a couple of people were saying. And the next step is that did anyone find that after they started writing, they discovered that they really were writing in a certain framework or that you had been trying to do one? And I think a couple of people mentioned it trying to do one framework and discovered that, oh, this other framework exists better. Anyone else have experiences like that? Uh, Catherine. Um, yeah, and you know, when I started writing as a teenager in the 70s, um, there wasn't any of this stuff around or not not much. There was maybe beginning, middle, end we learned in composition or something like that. But um, so I emulated the books that I liked. That was like about the best I could do, which was helpful. But then I found then I over the years, I've studied so many of the ones we've talked about. And I find that combining them and then combining them also with really well done books um and getting that influence as well because a lot of great books don't follow any structure exactly 100 percent either um i find that that's been the most helpful for me okay anyone else use write for a while and discover these structures afterwards okay does it oh mary Okay. <laughs> the, the arrow is always far away from the mute button on mute, you know? <laughs> um, so I started out as a, I've started out as a children's writer. That's, you know, how I got uh, how my first book being published and then several books after that. And so there was no structure I used for it. Cause like the first one was just a complete download. Uh, you know, when I was sitting there at a sort of in a meditative state and then from there, the children, because I've got a little one, this, the, the stories and the inspiration for it came very easily. And now I'm getting into things that need more structure. So I'm taking notes. Okay. <laughs> what you guys are talking about, 
because I'm getting into things that are a lot more detailed now as a, as a ghost writer and, and folks who ask questions, I always tell them, you know, what is it you want to say in your book? Cause definitely that's a place people have to get to, you know, what are your points that you want to make in your book, especially the ones that are uh, the memoirs or the, you know, like I've got a doctor I'm writing for, he wants to put all his experience into a book. So, okay, let's come up with what exactly do you want to put in the book? What are your chapters going to be? And let's build it from there. So that's something that I use in that aspect, but I'm taking notes today. <laughs> Thank you, Mary. Angela, welcome. Um, Tell us real quick who you are um, and uh, just real quick what we've talked a little bit just when you first started writing, did you use any frameworks at the beginning and have you changed since then? Um, hi, um, I'm Angela Haas and I primarily writing space opera, but have um, you know, a thriller working on the side and always just focus on action and adventure. Um, well, Kathy knows because she was my writing coach. When I started, I had nothing. I had bits and pieces, some dialogue, random setting thrown into a story that really didn't follow any rules and didn't work. So um, she actually connected me with so many resources and just we had to take everything apart and put it back together in a better framework. So um, I just put words on a page when you're just starting out, you don't realize how many other, you know, the rules of storytelling basically. And I pulled from so many things. I pulled from three story method, Jay Thorns, And um, I learned a lot from Sasha Black um, her 10 steps, 10 steps to hero. Um, I have that there. The thing that doesn't quite like save the cat is amazing. But for my brain, sometimes I get lost in trying to follow it so much that I lose my creative energy in it. It's so, and same with story grid wasn't for me. And I'm not saying that it wasn't for me and that I didn't learn some things. I pulled out what I needed but I can't follow story grid because my brain doesn't quite follow those steps or break it down like that. So I've had to pull from a lot of different resources. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jessica. I think it's important for us to remember that you find one that works for you. And if it doesn't, then you can switch it. It's like if you pull from several, that's cool. And that's awesome. If you are a panster and you prefer not to plot it out right away, then that's fine. If you're somebody who has to have like the minutia and the outline, that's fine. Um, for me, I like to do like a quick outline and then let the characters kind of run. But at the same time, like you got to find something that works for you just because we're talking all about the different ones. One might work for really good for one story. And then the next story, you might have to use something else. And that's okay, too. Yeah. And I had to learn that I had to let go because I'd go down these rabbit holes thinking I had to follow story grid macro, you know, to the T. And if I didn't, something wasn't working, but I had to step back and say, you know, my reader likes Avengers, Gal Guardians of the Galaxy kind of feelings. Like my reader loves Douglas Adams. Douglas Adams didn't follow story grid. <laughs> And he inspired me. Like he was my very first things that I started reading and I loved. So my reader's going to love the pacing and someone's not going to be like, well, she didn't follow the save the cat beat in this scene. You know, I mean, so, some people will, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. Those things are amazing resources. It just didn't quite work. I had to like, just keep writing. Yep. And I think for me, and I hear this reflected that, I didn't have, I didn't, I shouldn't have worried about it at the beginning. I should have just wrote. And then when I had some things written, then go and look at. Now, does anybody, because uh, I've seen these used two different ways, story grid, especially um, where they take one of these structures or frameworks, try and put their story into it and then write it. But I know other people that will write their story and then take the framework and move things around and fudge it a little to fit in. Does anybody, which, which way do other people prefer 
if you do that at all? I do both. You do both, depending mm-hmm. or? Do no, do- I, I, sorry, go ahead. No, do, uh, go ahead. Explain that further. For instance, I will start with character, give it a flaw, and then I plug in the three-story method. So I'll come up with the global conflict and the global choice and the consequence. And then I will try to do that per act. And so then I've got my framework and then I will write the book. So it's like a loose outline. Sometimes I'll go per scene, but usually it's just a, a just by act. I'll have a, a conflict, a choice and a consequence per act. And then I will write it and then I will go through and see if I've hit all of them and beef up the areas that need beefing. Okay. Kathy. Um, a lot of times these days, what I'm finding, like I had no structure when I first started writing, then I went obsessively into all these structure methods to the point of like, I was just obsessed with them and loved learning about them. And now I'm kind of like pulled back a bit and I tend to just, I think after a while you do tend to, especially if you read a lot, you do tend to just absorb this stuff. And after a while, it's just in your brain without thinking about it. So a lot of times I'll go back to the structure methods when I get stuck or when something's not working. It's like, okay, I'm trying too hard. The scene sucks. It's not working or something wrong with this character. Let's see. Let's, let's look through, you know, let's think through three-story method or let's think through maybe heroine's journey might help me here or, or whatever. So that's how I've been using it. And again, it's the experience to allow you to use the tool properly uh, is what I kind of take from what you just said. And I think others nod their head. Yeah, you have to experience. That's what I keep running into myself. Kim. Uh, I'm doing a little like Valerie, like I'll, I'll plan some stuff up ahead and then I will go back and I will look at certain things like, is there a strong choice? I'll use the three-story method a lot on the, the, on the back end when I'm writing a novel and then on the front end when I'm writing a short story. So if I write a short story, I start with the, the big choice. Like what is the big choice this character has to make? Cause in a short story, there's usually only one main character, right? So I'll start with the choice and then I'll, I'll go backwards. Okay. So what is the, the, the closest I can get to that. And that's where the, the, I'll start it. There'll be an inciting incident or something, but I, so there's a little bit on, on both ends, you know, like kind of figuring out a few things like what, and there's also the, the idea of what genre you're writing in, what kind of a story you're writing and what kind of the obligatory scenes and characters and moments or whatever you want to call them that you need to have. So if you're writing a romance, you have to include certain things or it's not a romance. So if you're writing a thriller, you need to have certain things. And so I'll, I'll think about those things at at the beginning, but not too much. And then I'll go back and I'll go, okay, did I make sure to include, you know, this big climactic moment with the, the bad guy in my thriller or something like that? So I do both. Agreed. Angela. Yeah, I kind of, that's how um, StoryGrid helped me is like when they lay out the obligatory scenes, that really helped me for what I was writing. And I was able to pull that. I'm a total pantser. I'm trying to work on being a plotter and trying to understand what that's like. But sometimes if I have inspiration, like I'll listen to music a lot like a soundtrack and that inspires me. And then I can kind of see the scene moving to the music, especially if it's an action scene. So like in this, what I'm working on now, I wrote three scenes in the climax in act three, like the final scenes. And I'm almost working backward because I'm like, okay, I know what happens now. How did they get there? Now I'm going here and it'll all connect. And that's where I just have to write otherwise I'll spend so much time overthinking and going down these rabbit holes then I go back and layer now like okay what are the three c's the the three-story method has helped me because it simplifies it so I can get it to like choice you know conflict choice consequence even if the consequence happens later I can go back and layer that making sure I have obligatory scenes and you know that I kind of that's how I pull but total pantser 
Thanks, uh, Dave. Oh, you're muted. Let's try that again. Technology again. Let's yes. see how it works. Uh, I think it helped me to have a background in journalism and writing. So I'm used to doing structure in my head. And so as I was writing, that, I was sort of putting that structure on the story. But I did the sort of pantsing thing for the first book and the first couple there. And I started doing plotting where I'm just doing the outlining and every scene then, because every plot point in line, like if you think of the, the 40 scenes kind of stuff from, um, uh, from uh, storyboarding from movies here, that becomes what I'm writing that day. I'm going to write that day. I'm going to sit there. I'm going to put in my music. Uh, I do the soundtrack thing as well. Uh, Pole Dark was the last one that I used for my last book there. I don't know if that's more successful than others. Downton Abbey's been there too. And I just plays on a loop and I'm just playing it as I'm going through and kind of writing there. And I don't recommend my methodology where I will sit and I'll spend a month. Um, I'm a school teacher, so I'll take a month and I'll write a novel, first draft, and it's eight hours a day and it's painful and it's bad. It hurts everything and it's not healthy. But it's a way to where I, I put a scene on a page and I, I write for, you know, however many hours and then I do another one the next day and I just go through as quickly as I can to get a first draft done. Um, so again, I don't know that it's the best way. I just know it's sort of the methodology that makes sense to me as I'm sort of, the scene kind of goes where it's supposed to go. And uh, the first outline obviously gets changed where things move around a little bit, things get added here or there, but it then becomes more a more full story. And it, the last one, it seemed to be fairly robust that it worked that way, that the characters developed and they grew out of them. But I'm moving away from the straight suspense stuff. I'm trying to dabble a little bit more in literary fiction type elements. So I'm trying to move more with character motivation and emotions and things like that that are driving the character as opposed to much more of the things blow up kind of stuff or people get killed is usually what happens in my books. Uh, first book, I killed 28. Now it's usually I'm down to one person a book. So at least my murder count is down, I suppose. Uh, but I, I have other things that move the story along. Uh, and so that is, I, I'm trying to delve more into the character's emotions. And I think that's more sort of immersing in the character and uh, marinating the character and how the character moves and acts throughout that there. Uh, it probably looks back like it looks like a format I have. It looks like I followed the hero's journey or something like that. But no, it usually is not that intentional. I, I wish it were, I guess. And it'd be really cool for these kinds of shows. But I sort of go where the story goes and see where it leads me. Well, no, actually, that's probably really helpful, too, because there's probably others out there going, oh, my gosh, all these professional uh, authors are using all these great frameworks. And I'm not. I must suck. No, you really aren't. <laughs> Not everybody does. Kim, you had something? Yeah, I just wanted to add something that I've recently, well, not recently gotten into because I have I have a background in like English and literature and stuff, but is uh, I really am re-getting into is, is fairy tale structure. So I think it's because I started going to historical fantasy and there's and, and it was something that I kind of intuitively put in a lot of my books, like things would happen in threes or there would be like, you know, these number of brothers and then this happened to them. And, and so now I'm reading more about um, fairy tale structure, which is kind of like, I don't know, sparking that fire again, like, oh, that's really cool. You can, someone so has to do a task and then they have to fulfill that task to, to do, move on to something else or there's curses. And, you know, so I think we sometimes overlook how powerful fairy tales and those structures either can be or how much they've like gotten into our psyches, you know, that, that we've internalized them as writers. I don't know if anybody else does that, but stuff in my work often happens in threes, sevens, nines, twelves, you know, all those kinds of numbers. So uh, I think if any of you are musicians, that's a very good example, because if you take the three same chords, you can write tons of songs. If you have verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, if you write, take three chords with that structure and write songs, You'll, you'll have people loving it every time. But a lot of times I hear authors saying, oh, I don't want to use a structure. I want something new and unique. Well, people don't really want that, actually. That's something you learn. That, and, and the freedom, actually, I've found comes from using one of these structures because you don't have to think so hard. Sometimes it, the, it flows better. Um, anyone have? Oh, oh go ahead, Catherine. Well, I was going to say that most, most writers have been readers all their life. Some come to it late, but so we intrinsically know kind of we've soaked it into our psyche about what makes a good story. And a, a lot of times we're unconsciously following 
a pattern that we've heard, like the fairy tales that Kim mentioned. Um, and I have to, you know, self-disclose that I came to three-story method after I'd already been work, working on my current work. And uh, so all I've done is use that as I go along to evaluate what I'm doing. Um, my biggest uh, trick, I guess, tip is that I write a, a five-page synopsis, and I know people hate that word, but all I'm doing is just telling myself the story I intend to write. And then if that's really cruddy, well, then I know, hey, I either fix it right here, right now, or it doesn't get written. Right. <laughs> so it saves me a lot of heartache in the long run. I just, I think it would crush me to start a story and get three quarters of the way through and then have to scrap it because I couldn't write myself out of it. So um, there's that. Yep. So I, I like, I like the, the frameworks, but I use them more of evaluation and fixing than I do is, oh, I've got to tick every mark, you know, as I go along, I, I just, you know, that's not for me. So I don't actually plot, but I do synopsis. Nice. Thank you. <laughs> different styles, different folks. Joel. Yeah, I, I, as I said before, um, my first novel, I, I, I wrote a very, very extensive outline that didn't follow any of the uh, platforms. I just wrote an outline and I tried to write a novel on the basis of the outline. And I, I hated doing that. And I felt it sort of sucked the life out of uh, my writing. And since then, I've written, written uh, much more organically uh, without much of an outline. I mean, I'll have a number of points. I'll know how I want the book to start. I generally know how I want the book to end when I get started. And so um, I'm really connecting the beginning to the end of the book. And I write organically and I really try to, um, uh, to allow my characters to take me where they want to go. So very often my characters will direct and guide me in one direction or another, which is very different than where I, as the author, originally thought I wanted to go. And I remember attending a, um, a program maybe about uh, four years ago uh, given by Lee Child. And regardless of what you think of thriller novels, uh, you can't dismiss the fact that Child is one of the most successful authors of our days. And, uh, and I've heard Stephen King say basically the same thing. Again, you may not like horror, but King is probably the most successful American author today. And um, what Lee Child said was the only thing he ever knows when he starts writing a novel is the first paragraph. And that after that, he has no idea where Jack Reacher is going to take him. So, um, you know, there's there's that style, which I think allows for a lot of um, a lot of serendipity and a lot of unexpected twists and turns, things that you hadn't plotted out in advance. And, uh, you know, do we miss things along the way? Probably. Um, do we uh, does the novel seem a little bit more lively? I think so, at least for me. And I'm not I'm not criticizing anybody else's writing style. But for me, anyway, it feels a lot more lively when I do it organically and organically is just a fancier way of saying pantser. But I'm betting you use some structure without even thinking about, because you mentioned beginning and end. So obviously you have a middle. And oh no, absolutely. Yeah. If you're absolutely. writing mystery thrillers, there's some conflict or it wouldn't be right. a mystery thriller. So I, I'm betting you're using more of this. If we sat down and ripped apart, I bet we'd be able to place it into some, probably more than one framework. Uh, you can't see it right over there on my wall. I have a, a little thing that I made up. It just is one word. It says conflict. And it's just to remind me all the time that on every page, in every paragraph, if I can do it, and certainly on every page and every uh, chapter, I've got to have conflict in the story. So even if it's even if it's just uh, internal conflict or conflict between two characters, I try to incorporate that. So, yeah, of course, uh, there's a structure and, and certainly one of the best things and several people have mentioned this now. One of the best things that any writer can do, certainly any budding writer can do is just read, 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 read as much as you can read in the genre that you love, read in other genres and uh, try to emulate the writers that you like and stay away from the ones that you don't like. Yeah. And, and I think uh, for the three story method editors, I think Joel just kind of summarized three-story method even more so than Jay and Zach. Conflict, got conflict, you're good because the consequence and the choice are going to come naturally from that. Uh, Dave, you had something? Yeah, I know that uh, often we'd say we don't want to follow a method, but we sure like to see it in a book or a TV show that we're watching. 
And I, my wife and I watch a lot of British television and uh, Commonwealth television. And we sit there and go, okay, there's the conflict. Here's the story arc. And we can see it played out there as writers. We're going, okay, even like with the subtle conflict that's more quiet or more subdued where they're smoldering or they're angry and it's not yelling or screaming. Okay, where is the conflict in the scene? Why are these two people doing these things? Because there has to be the conflict and resolution and so forth. So it's fun to see the structure of other creatives, even when you're not thinking about it. And then when I sit down with a book, I go, okay, well, I wanted to follow a certain pattern. I'm looking for a certain thing out of that book because I like that genre. I'm looking for a certain structure. So as much as I say, hey, if I don't want to write it, other people that are writing the books that I'm reading are following typically some kind of structure. So it's effective for them as a reader, a writer, and then for me as a reader. So it's helpful to look back and say, okay, maybe some of my stuff does the hero's journey or it does one of the other formats there. And that's probably why it's successful because it follows the patterns and hits the beats, you know, like a beat sheet for a movie. It hits the beats people are looking for. Right. Yep. I'm going to come back to that in a moment. Kathy, you had something else? Uh, you're on mute. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess this comment is kind of for the listeners out here who you say you have just reader listeners and for the newer writers or maybe some readers who are thinking about getting into writing, I would just I would just caution too. once you start delving into the writing community and listening to podcasts and you hear some very experienced, successful writers talking about using no structure whatsoever, be complete pantsers. Remember too, that these people have story structures so ingrained in um, their psyche and they're so experienced that they don't need to sit down with story grid laid out in front of them to remind them or, or they've read so much or whatever. So um, I think it's worthwhile to take a look at some of these story structure methods and to see if something works for you. Um, read a lot and try and just you know, organically absorb what that writer is doing to create, you know, a story. It's kind of woo, but you know, it kind of works actually. <laughs> uh, especially if you're a panther, read a lot, you know, read a lot and just try and absorb it and try and do that when you write. So um, yeah, that was just kind of my two cents for, for people too. Thank you. Uh, Kim. Yeah. It was something you said, Stephen, about, um, the four people don't want to follow a formula or, you know, a structure or framework or whatever you want to call it, because it wouldn't be original, but we have to all remember that what makes our books original isn't the framework. It's our own voice. You know, it's our own story. I mean, there's other stories out there about Vikings. There's a bunch of them, but what makes mine different is me. It's the story I chose to tell and how I tell it and, and my voice. So that's always something to remember if you want to, if you're thinking, oh, I don't want to follow any kind of a framework because that would just limit my creativity and it would just be like everybody else's, but what makes it yours is, is you. And then um, it, it, when Kathy was talking about pantsing and stuff, it reminded me, so I just got the proof copy for my, my book that's coming out in a couple of weeks. And I pantsed this book for the most part. And, you know, there's like that big, like midpoint shift that your, you know, characters like supposed to go through or whatever. And I happened to look at my book and can you see, I pants this book. Here's the big midpoint shift. It literally <laughs> happened in exactly the middle part of the book. And I hadn't even realized it. So there's, you know, some, a lot of that stuff just sinks in and you don't even realize you're doing it. Yep. Thanks, Kim. Angela. Well, and I want to say I'm living proof in that you have to follow something because I truly had nothing and my story didn't work as much as there were scenes I loved and things I believed in. I had to kill my darlings and follow the rules. There are some rules that, you know, fall in line with reader expectation. The thing that I had presented to Kathy didn't follow any rules. It wasn't anything. It was a collection of scenes that didn't go anywhere. It wasn't successful. And I had to completely restart over almost and rewrite the entire thing. And I will say as I'm writing book two, now that I have all this knowledge, I'm not necessarily going into book two saying, okay, here's Save the Cat Beats, but I still have that knowledge of like, here's the rules. Here's what I know I can follow. And it's still organic. I'm still pantsing, but it's making my life so much easier to have that framework. Right. I, I, I've done the same thing. Uh, Dave. 
Um, in my day job, I happen to be a teacher and I sometimes have a chance to mentor students about how to write. And I'm helping this one student and this student can tell you the entire backstory of all of her characters and all the things going on. She does fantasy stuff. We're talking, you know, large. She can write a good 100,000 word book if she tries, but she'll talk for 45 minutes about character backstory and development. Like, oh, hold on. Okay, good. How do we get this character doing something? Where are they going? What's going to be, I guess, the journey or whatever terminology we're going to use. It's hilarious. As I'm, I'm a government teacher, but I'm teaching because um, they know I'm an author. So let's talk about books. I'm like, okay, you need structure. But, 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 no, 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 no. This head needs to go somewhere. Because if it doesn't, it's going to be a great story in your head and no one's ever going to read it. And it's not a mean way to say it, but it's never going to get on the page that people are going to be able to process this stuff here. And the creativity is off the charts, but you've got to have that drive or it's going to be just a bunch of pages or post-it notes or files on a computer somewhere. And he said, man, I wish I'd written a book. I always wanted to write that book. I always wanted to get something done there that's going to be of some length of substance people are going to read. That was always my hope. But it never happened. You got to, you know, button the chair, doing the work and just getting the structure of some kind out there because the story's got to go somewhere and it's got to it take that journey to use the word again. But it's just funny where when Angela's talking about it, like this student just had none. There's no structure. Like you need it. You need something to just get you going. Uh, you got to put it, cars got to go somewhere. You got to have gas in the cars. You got to be the cars got to be put together so you can drive down the road. Um, you just can't have a dream to travel the open space there. you got to have a method or a vehicle to get through that. Yes. Uh, Kathy. Yeah, I would, I would add to that. Um, everybody wants to be free and be able to just be creative and have fun. And, and, and I totally agree with that. And everybody's going to work with a different level of a different balance of plotting and panting or discovery writing as some people like to call it these days, which I, I totally agree with that because I hate to take all discovery out of my writing that takes all the fun out of it, right? Even though I am somewhat of a plotter. Um, but I would also say that having some framework, some kind of structure, even if it's very minimal, some kind of restraint um, forces you to become more creative. So in some ways, if you're following um, let's say you're following, you know, the typical romance of obligatory scenes that are expected in a romance by readers. Well, some people find that very constraining, but on the other hand, it forces you to be even more creative to make it what readers want out of a romance, yet it's different and unique. So um, just be having no boundaries whatsoever. Sometimes people aren't as creative as they are when they're forced to keep their creativity within a certain boundary does that make sense <laughs> yeah, absolutely my, my favorite example of that is uh mario from mario brothers nintendo um when they first created him they didn't have enough pixels to make a full face so they just gave him a big mustache so they wouldn't have to do the bottom half of the face it's super iconic so putting the little, little structure in and giving yourself something to work against uh sometimes really helps creativity um Anyone else on that before I move a little bit slightly? Okay. Um, me, has anyone else read or tried to work with the snowflake method, which is one we haven't mentioned a whole lot. I read the book. Uh, it was recommended to me and I was like, okay, I didn't get it all. But then I've been finding with my latest story that I'm doing exactly that. Basically snowflake method. What's great about it is it, works with hero's journey three story or any of those it's not its own thing it's a way of writing uh so if you're a, a, a pantser discovery writer plotter it helps that you define the core essentials and you build out from there and that's where i'm at right now i'm adding believe it or not a fantasy book at the end but now is when i'm adding in a lot of the world building a lot of the details of the world coloring it so that's another one that could be uh useful to anyone listening um how about this i heard this mentioned does anybody else do this i think a couple even mentioned it that when you're watching movies that you're evaluating it for hero's journey or save the cat and you're, you're mentioning, and then you start doing things like, Oh, well, this person's going to say this and they're going to do this. And you quit watching because, Oh, I've got the movie figured out. And then your better half will hit you. <laughs> Catherine. Actually, my, my beef is with the long series uh, that I can, I go through season one and I just sit there and I go, 
They don't know how it's going to end. I'm out. And I did that on Lost, drove my family crazy. They all watched it for several seasons. And sure enough, <laughs> they didn't have an ending. <laughs> I was like, see? Right. They just left you hanging. <laughs> and so that's my big thing is you better know your ending. It, you know, if you don't know anything else, know what you're going to do at the end. At least know what you, where you want it to end up. Right. Agreed. Dave? Uh, a couple of thoughts there. I'm watching a current show uh, in Canadian television and they do the whole, you know, flashback three hours earlier or five hours earlier. I, that actually takes up one third of the show because I've clocked it. I'm going, okay, how long will this flashback, you know, that go back to the scene that takes up one third of the show. That's just the number. Cause I've done it several times in this sort of is this device here. And that's what the structure is. Another thought talking about not knowing where shows going. I've jumped into a new show that I'm, you know, Netflix binging called travelers. And I'm sitting there going, okay, it's three seasons. I'm in season one. I don't know where this thing goes here. I'm kind of curious, like some of these other kind of mystery type shows like this here, uh, like manifesting. I'm like going, do they know where this stuff's going? Or is it just going to be sort of an adventure and they expect you to go along for the ride? And if I can binge it, you know, I can binge five episodes a day if I want to be that addicted, I can do that. But if I have every week where I'm doing, you know, develop over an entire season or two or three, I'm at a certain point where I'm warning, okay, if it starts to go, we have brand new great adventure that seems to be totally off the charts here, not planned, not scripted, just sort of random. I'm thinking, I don't know if I have enough headspace for five of these or six of these. You know, I wanted to end organically. Okay, hey, you got one season. I'm good with that. Don't try to draw it over four seasons where it then gets into so many subplots or subpoints it seems to have lost its original way. Yeah. And uh, maybe it's my impatience, I don't know, but I I get leery of wanting to invest in something if I'm afraid the payout's not going to be good enough. Uh, agreed. There's too much to enjoy. <laughs> Joel? All I can say to that is I've been writing seriously now, again, because I wrote when I was a lot younger, but I'm writing seriously now for about 15 or 16 years. And as I've been writing more and more seriously, and now I write full-time, really six days a week, I find that I spend almost all of my time watching anything on television, analyzing every scene. And by the way, usually saying it out loud, my wife hates it because I'm analyzing every scene. Why are they doing this? Oh, look, they, they did this. You know why they're doing that? Because in the next scene, this is going to happen. Or look, there's conflict now between these two. These two people, this guy just showed up. You know why? Because they're running out of stuff to do. They needed to bring some more conflict into the story. And it's the same thing with books. So you read things much and, and see things much more critically. Sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not so good. And one thing's for certain, when you share it with your significant other, that's not so good because typically they just want to watch and enjoy and you're, you're messing it up for them. Right. I'm, I'm sure filmmakers do the same thing with the cuts and the scenes and all that. Uh, anyone else? At least I'm married to a fellow writer, so we both know what we're looking for, and we're used to making the critique there. It's not, uh, we're not, she's not mad at me. It's like she'll see the same thing too or point something else out there. Why'd that happen? They never explained that point there. They sort of let it hang, and we didn't get, get to deal with that. Yeah. Um, I, I was watching a movie last night. I'm not going to give the name, and it was kind of a mess. Um, and I started looking at it, evaluating with save the cat. And I'm like, well, that's why, because they didn't do half this in any type of order and they skipped several things. It just wasn't there. And I'm like, that's, you know, and my wife said, well, uh, this, it was the special effects. They weren't just as good. I'm like, I don't care about that. That's fluff. If the story's not gathering me, I can overlook special effects, you know, but Mary, did you have now something? Now we want to know what that, now we want to know what the movie is. Well, I don't want them to come and hurt me. It was Van Helsing with uh, Hugh Jackman, oh. uh, which uh, oh. I was like, <laughs> oh man, you know, we wanted to watch it, but Mary, did you have something? Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, it really does suck when you invest yourself in a show and then there's a part you get to and they go, whoa, they brought that in and never told us what happened. Like they totally failed us. It was an epic fail and you're left hanging and then there's no more seasons, you know. Um, I, I I was going to say, um, I was going to say something uh, to piggyback on Dave. My I have an 18 year old who's just finished her 133,000 word YA fantasy <laughs> sci-fi, which I just, you know, I don't know where it's come from, but she's very, very creative too. She's an artist. She's a published illustrator already, but we are going back through right now before um, 
shopping for a literary agent for her and tightening up all the holes, making sure everything connects, rereading every single line over and over again. So she's getting some good training very young so that, you know, either, you know, she doesn't get the book thrown out and she can get a literary agent and a good publisher or a good deal or, you know, because she's got five for the series. But I, I think that's something sometimes when we're writing, we forget to do is to close up those holes. You know, we got to make sure we, we make sure everything circles back and we don't leave somebody hanging like some of these TV shows do for us, you know? Right. Thank you. Uh, Kim. Actually, I have a question for everybody. So talking about TV series made me think of book series and, you know, leaving threads hanging and not knowing the ending and stuff like is there a particular structure framework that you think works best for writing a, like a long series? Well, I'll jump right in. Uh, tell you that that's one of the things I liked about Jay and Zach's three story method, because it will work if it's long, short TV movie, if it's romance, if it's fantasy, it works with all of it. And I think, a lot of people I, I've seen some of the reviews, people are like, this is garbage. It's too simple. It's, but that's the beauty of it is the simplicity allows it to fit and be flexible, but th that's the core elements of what's needed. So uh, I, I kind of laugh because I'm like, well, you know, you could say that and I'm going to bet you're not successful as a writer. Cause if you don't get what that core is, you, you're really missing that. And it, you know, someone mentioned earlier, you know, Joel conflict and that's, kind of the basis of that. Uh, Kathy? Yeah, I would have to, I totally agree with you on three-story method because I've, I've tried a lot of different methods with a lot of different writers. And if, especially if you want to be a discovery writer or you lean more, you lean more toward the left, <laughs> toward the discovery, or if you um, are a new writer and it just, because of the simplicity of it, it kind of works for a lot of different kinds of writers too. If you're a heavy plotter, it can work for you just as well that way, you know, but it's so simple. And so, you know, you don't, if you, you can be very, very discovery and use this, you can be very, very new and not feel like you're overwhelmed with all this theory, you know, <laughs> that can be kind of overwhelming that maybe even takes the fun out of things. So and that's one of the reasons I mentioned before, um, I want to get the certification for editor, uh, not necessarily to evaluate other people's stories, but to work with kids uh, and their stories. Because three-story method, I think they can grasp to go with their beginning, middle, end learning. Uh, and I want to fit that in. Uh, Angie. Um, I was just, you know, Kim, with your question, the first thing I thought of like as a long series um, was the TV show Blacklist, which to me started out really strong. And then like, I think if you're writing a long series, which I am, like, there's an overarching kind of in Avengers, like the overarching thing that all the little stories are contributing to. But I think what happened with, like, Blacklist is, like, things never really resolved. They kept, like, you would get to a point where something you would think, okay, finally, we're going to get to the end of this arc. And then there's some new twist that's, like, you just think this is resolved. And then they throw something else into it. And I'm like, now we're going here again. And it's like taking the taking you into too many other things that you have to follow and keep track of. And I think they lost some of the simplicity by trying to create too many stories that don't resolve, that end on cliffhangers, that get convoluted. And this person finally decides to change. And then they go back to their old ways. Then they change. And then they go back. And it's like some even though it's a long series, I think sometimes certain stories need to resolve and, and, and be done instead of just like keep churning in the water where you just feel exhausted more than entertained. Yeah. Oh, Mary, you, you got muted. What? Or everybody's saying sorry all the time. That's like all you hear is seeing a story. <laughs> right. Yeah. And we mentioned my first, first story was kind of a meandering mess that I didn't really have any conflict and it didn't have a good resolution. And I thought I was, I was like, you know, writing the great American novel and everybody was going to love it. And then my editor kind of ripped all of it apart. And when I read it and agreed with her, I realized 
yeah, you got to have some conflict. You got to have bad stuff. Nobody cares if everybody's just walking through a field of poppies all the time, unless they fall asleep and the flying monkeys get them. But that's, you know, still conflict. So Dave, you had something? Yes. One of the things that I tend to like about uh, some TV shows from other countries is they tend to have a shorter seasons and the idea that the story arcs can be over a six period six episode period as opposed to say 22 or 13 or something like that they tend to be more condensed or they tend to close up more succinctly and talking about series that have tended to sort of stray from the pathway i was a fan of a million little things i mean i was sucked into it love sort okay they're my age group so it's this is us but for you know the older generation a little bit <laughs> at least some of the characters there uh so it's about my age group there and then they had a season where like they started taking a certain pathway to do storytelling i'm like I don't care. They started getting into some uh, stuff away from the characters and much more about external issues. And, you know, it's fascinating to get the external stuff, but I watched the show for the characters and the character development and how they interact and intertwine and their interconnected stories. When I bring other stuff into it, whether it's going to be current issues of the day or struggles that are going on that are external to the characters themselves, I don't care as much. I was reading a book recently in a series I like, and they brought in COVID. I'm like, oh, I'm reading not to read COVID. I'm good. I've lived it. I'm okay. I wore the mask and everything. And I get being contemporary, but I'm afraid that when you lock a story into a year that's a contemporary book with so many specifics like that, it gets dated in five minutes. It feels contemporary when I read it. When I read it in two years, I'm going like, oh, I remember that time back then. And I sort of, I'm pulled out of it going back to that history point as opposed to being in the narrative itself. So that's a danger I see when I, when I frame a contemporary story around very li limited contemporary events as opposed to themes that are universal with a few technology things in there, a few other details that are relevant to the time frame. Yeah. All right. Um, well, we've gone an hour. I think that's great. I, I was afraid that, oh, we're going to do 10 minutes and everyone's going to have nothing to say. But of course, you know, writers <laughs> always have something to say. Um, so let's just kind of go out. If anybody wants a last minute comment on the framework structure method that you like to use uh, or advice for other writers out there, or maybe even readers who are listening to this just because they're, they don't want to skip anything they subscribe to on the podcast. Um, you know, your favorite structure, what structures you like, why you like them, any advice or any just last comments from anybody. We'll go around for everyone. Uh, Valerie. Uh, I'll still stick with, I love starting uh, with Libby Hawker's take off your pants. And then I plug in the three-story method. Yep. I agree. Dave. Sorry about that. We're doing the round robin there. Cool. Yeah. Sorry. Things that I know I got to pay attention. I'm not a good student. Always a better teacher. <laughs> One of the things you that hope. I tend to recommend is you know, do what works for you, but find someone to read your work here. That's going to give you an honest critique of the story. It's going somewhere or going nowhere. Because if it's not going anywhere, maybe you need to go back and apply a certain structure or consider a certain structure and where things are and be willing to move stuff. And you've got to sacrifice some of the darlings. You really do. I love that part. It's so beautiful. It's so wonderful. It doesn't move the story along. If it doesn't move the story along, it's got to go. It, we, we have to get the best story out there. And it's not just the story that you love in your head. It's got to be a story on the page that people are going to read. What's the story on the page that people are going to read? Figure out how to tell that story with as few extraneous things as possible. Thank you. Catherine. I was going to mention uh, one of my favorite things to do is to write from the middle. And I think, uh, I can't remember who was talking about that. Raise your hand anyway. Uh, oh, it was Kim, wasn't it? You were saying your book had unintentionally done the turn point in the middle was that moment where you have a mirror moment, as James Scott Bell would say, and you go from proact uh, reactive to proactive you, you confront the lie you believe, whatever it is, and take action. And so sometimes if you're having trouble with that muddle in the middle, that's the thing to do is figure out what that moment is when your main character goes from one thing to another. So makes that change. Great, thanks. Uh, Mary. Um, yes, I, and, and I know this is something that, uh, you know, we all think about, um, but it, it's to just write, don't wait. You know, anybody who's new out there, you can't wait for that 
cabin in the woods or the, the, you know, sitting on the beach in your cottage. I mean, listen, I've learned to write in the car rider line at practices with the music on and my kids doing stuff. And I'm sitting here doing this, put my headphones on or whatever. You just got to do it. You got to get it out of here, out of here, wherever it's sitting and just get it out. And and literary agent told me once, write your first chapter, throw it out, start all over again. Cause you'll just get all your out and then you'll go back and put the parts together that are, are much better. So that's what I would say. Great. Thanks. Jessica. Um, for things that get stuck every once in a while, I get stuck too. And I'm like, what do I do? And then all of a sudden, like you add the conflict, like Joel's been talking about, you just, something has to happen external, internal, something happens. And then it kind of gives you a whole new Avenue. And then toward the end, you have to well, I don't know. You don't have to, I guess, but I like to always try to get them to re-meet that thing that they started doing that they needed to change from and see if they grew from it. Great. Thank you. Kathy. Um, yeah, I have to agree with Mary a lot because I, I did spend four years in a cabin in the woods in the middle of nowhere thinking I was going to write a novel and I didn't write anything fiction in that time. Nothing. I didn't get my book out until after I moved back and joined a writer community and got the inspiration and the support and the exchange of ideas and the fun of being together with other writers, whether you're in person or like on Zoom like this, um, is really what is going to help you despite what a lot of people think that it's this isolated, you know, activity. It really isn't. So um, I would say, yeah, get involved, join a writer community of some kind. Um, listen to podcasts and make sure and read, read, read too. Yep. Thank you. Kat or Kim, sorry. Uh, yeah. Read, read, read. Um, and really when you're doing that, when you're reading or watching or whatever, really pay attention to what speaks to you. Like whatever you really love, you know, is what you should be doing. And if, if there's, if you're looking at different structures, like you think you might want to try something also think about that too. So like, I love stories about families, found families, cool sidekicks, all that kind of stuff. And I just naturally was drawn to the heroine's journey before I even read the book about the heroine's journey. The hero's journey didn't appeal to me as much because it was more for a loner and going out in the world. And so as you're reading and as you're watching stuff, just really, and when you're writing too, just really pay attention to really, really lights up your, you know, your brain and your creativity and then, you know, follow that. Great. Thank you. Joel. Yeah, basically um, uh, what everybody's been saying, read as much as you can, write, sit down and just write. Um, what I do is I, I start out and I think to myself about what the beginning, middle and end of the story is going to be. I make sure that on every page, there's some conflict of some kind, whether it's internal or external. I try to put cliffhangers all the way through my book, and especially at the end of chapters. I want people, when they get to the end of a chapter, want to turn and read the next one. I want them to be saying at one o'clock in the morning, Daniel Burkhat, I've got to read another chapter. Daniel, I'm going to read another chapter. And uh, finally, just uh, remind everybody, because I know everybody here is probably familiar with it, Annie Lamont's uh, great book, Bird by Bird, in which she said, don't worry about your first draft. It's going to be shit and no one will ever read it. So uh, for those budding writers out there, just write and don't worry about what it looks like. Just get it down on paper. Somebody else has already said it. You're going to just throw it out anyway, but just get it down on paper. That's the most important thing you can do. Yep. yep. Thanks, Joel. Angela. So for me, because I'm still the newbie in the group, but what helped me from the story that was awful to do something that's being published was I had to figure out what the expectations, what are the reader expectations, what are the obligatory scenes, what, what are the tropes that you have to have and then put your own spin on it. Um, I had to join a writer's community without the, all of you and Kathy was my writing coach and just being in a community where you're not alone, where you can actually talk about writing without someone like saying, okay, I'm, I'm good. Let's talk about something else. <laughs> you know, um, that was, the, that's the only reason this book exists because I've had that accountability. I've had people to turn to, to ask questions, to get answers, to get resources. I also love um, Savannah Gilbo. Um, she's a writer, but she also is a coach and an editor and, her, I love her podcast because she talks about 
you know, the five scenes every action novel has to have. And she just goes right into it and she just goes down the list. And for me, that was great to take notes from. Um, and then just write. I have a routine and I shut everything else out. And even if I write a word or three scenes, I'm still following that routine and, and showing up for myself to get it done. Yep. Great. Thanks. And for me, I, I'd say for all, any other new writers, because I'm still struggling to get past being the new guy too. Um, don't worry about methods and structures and don't worry so much about the craft, uh, each sentence and the periods and just write, write a story, put it down, write another story, write, write a whole novel, write 10 short stories that go with it, write 10 that don't go with it, write anything that comes to your mind every day, write, write, write. And then once you have all that experience under your belt, everything else makes a lot more sense. <laughs> and you'll find that you can be much better than you would have thought. Dave, last word. A little bit of encouragement. I had one short story I wrote that was so horrifying. I had to put it in a drawer for a year. I turned it into a book. I put it in a drawer. I chopped the darn thing up and put it into a couple of different novels. And so throw nothing away. Everything may have some life somewhere and find a support group that will help you out there. We are crazy, weird, strange people. We need other crazy, weird, strange people along the journey, or otherwise we're going to give up on the journey. Yep. Great. All right, folks. Thanks a lot. Uh, you're all great uh, help with this. And I appreciate you taking some time out of the beautiful afternoon, at least here in Ohio, uh, to uh, talk and be on the podcast. So uh, everybody, we wish everyone luck. And for anyone listening, uh, go find some good books to read or to write the next good book. So thanks, everyone. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Discovered Wordsmiths. Come back next week and listen to another author discuss the road they've traveled and maybe sometime in the near future, it might be you.